Well, good morning. I'm Brian Johnson. I'm one of the elders here, and welcome to Grace Bible Church. And we're just so uh, just thrilled that you are coming here to worship with us today. And before I get started, I would like to share a couple of things. Uh, the first thing has to do with Jacob. I thought since I have the pulpit here and he's gone today, <laughs> it's kind of like taking a free shot at somebody. Um, and I thought I'd try to embarrass him a little bit today. And the, probably the most embarrassing thing I could think for Jacob is drawing some attention to himself. Um, but to, to be honest and sincere, I, I'm so grateful for Jacob's shepherding and preaching I met with him a, a couple weeks ago as I was developing the sermon, and I'm just like, Jacob, how do you do this every single week? And Jacob, just being Jacob, just said, it's, it's my joy. So the embarrassing thing for Jacob is this. Over the next couple weeks, if, if you are grateful for him and just the time that he puts in to make sermons and to glorify God and to apply God's word to us, just reach out to him and thank him. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, and he does such a great job. So that's my embarrassing thing for Jacob. The other thing before I get started is I had gotten a text a couple weeks ago. I'd been telling some people that I'd be preaching today, and someone said, hey, have, have you ever preached before? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've preached before. But after I thought about it, there, there probably should be an asterisk by that. See, I've preached before, but only to captive audiences. So I've preached in jails several times, and I've, and I've preached at soup kitchens several times. In the jail, obviously, you can't leave. You're incarcerated. And in the soup kitchen, you had to stay for the entire sermon before you got your meal. So... Today, you are free to leave if you need to. You're not incarcerated. There's not going to be a meal directly afterwards, but I would appreciate if you would stay. All right, let's get started. Psalm 30. I titled this sermon, A Testimony of God's Faithfulness. So as we look at Psalm 30 this morning, I, I kind of want you to see where I'm going to go with it. Psalm 30 reads like a good testimony of the faithfulness of God it's not necessarily a testimony of how somebody is saved, but a testimony after you're saved. A testimony of a hardship or trial that you've gone through. Or, to put it another way, like your capital T testimony is your salvation story. How the Father called you to the Son and you've turned from your sin and by faith you're trusting in the Lord and His finished work on the cross. And then your lower T testimony is any trial or hardship that God has brought you through after you've been saved. And lower T testimonies, they're not insignificant. They are very powerful. I'm sure we can all think of times where fellow Christians have encouraged us. And even in our church body, I can think of times where you guys have encouraged me. There is one person who doesn't go to our church, his name is Joe, and I would like to share how his testimony impacted me. Joe's testimony really encouraged me after, after the death of my son Noah. You see, about two years before Noah died, Joe lost his daughter Isabel in a car crash. 
And he was able to tell me his struggles for the first couple of weeks and first couple of years after his daughter's death. He told me of his wrestling with God and he shared with, you know, how hard it was to comfort his wife and his family when he was so empty inside. He told me of his dark times. But Joe also told me about his, the patience of God with him during this time. And he shared with me that Jesus was with him each step. And he was assured of his daughter's faith in Christ and her being in heaven. Joe was such a a help to me knowing that somebody could survive such a trial. Somebody could walk through such a low area of life and have God faithfully and patiently walk with them each step of the way. And Joe, just like me, you know, misses his child and struggles at times but he has found joy in life again. So now, we have this psalm of David giving testimony to God's faithfulness. And David is somebody who has lots of testimonies in the Bible. I'm just going to briefly go over three of them. We can think of God forgiving David after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband and him surviving the death of their baby together. We could think of David taking an unauthorized count of his people and David falling on God for judgment and ultimate mercy. Or we could think of God restoring him his palace after his son Absalom and his Absalom's rebellion and palace takeover and then ultimately living through the death of his son. So as we go through the psalm, I would like you to think of ways that you can give testimony or praise to God when he has brought you through a tough time. And it's important, as we look at a testimony, the only reason believers have any testimony at all is this. We've been redeemed by Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice to reconcile us to the Father. And it's through Jesus that we are children of God and have any hope at all. So let's look at Psalm 30. You can follow along in your Bibles. So Psalm 30, a psalm of David. A song at the dedication of the temple, or that word can be translated house. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. Into the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I shall go to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray. 
Oh, gracious Father, we ask that you would just open up our hearts to this text today and the teaching. Lord, I pray that what would be helpful would, would stick and what would not be would just fall off to the side. Lord, help us be a, a people that would be quick to encourage each other with testimonies of your faithfulness. Lord, we are so grateful that we can meet today freely and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned before, this is a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Not a conversion testimony, but a testimony of God's faithfulness. So I'm going to break this text into five different parts today. So point one, we'll be looking at individual praise, verses one through three, and then transitioning to group praise, verses four and five, describing a hardship or trial in verses six and seven, pleading or praying to God for help in verses eight through ten, and then Finally, deliverance and praise to the Lord, verses 11 and 12. So point one, individual praise. So we aren't sure exactly what was happening in David's life at this point. I tend to agree with John Calvin and John Gill that it was after David's son, Absalom, took over the palace and then died in the war with David's men. And later on, if you want to look at 2 Samuel, starting in uh, chapter 15, You can read this account later. But in the process of David getting back his kingdom and his palace and David enduring Absalom's immorality, David had to abandon his palace and then experience the death of his son. And so now David's coming back to his palace. Out of all this, I could kind of see how Psalm 30 could fit into this time in history. So now, in the first three verses, we have David giving individual praise to God for his deliverance. In verses 1 through 3, he he bursts out in praise to God for the following things. He says, I will extol you. I'm being drawn up by God. You're not letting my foes rejoice over me. You have healed me. You brought my soul up from the grave. You restored me among those who have gone down from the pit. So right away, David is communicating that the Lord has worked in his life. And he's, he's very enthusiastic to tell others about it. And this reminds me of when I've talked to different people and, and they're just so thrilled of how God has moved in their lives. And I can even think in this church talking to some of you and you're just like, you won't believe this. Look. And it's like, no, we can believe it. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? But often this is after a very difficult time, a trial. And then once you are on the other side, you can see how God has been with you the entire way. But what does it mean in verse 3 if you look at that? It says, O Lord, you brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored my life among those who are down in the pit. Well, in verse 3, David isn't saying that he literally was in the grave or Sheol. He wasn't really dead and had to be physically restored. We have to remember, this is poetic language. And David is saying how his situation felt. If you've ever been through a a very difficult trial, you know how hopeless and helpless it can be in the beginning, in the middle of your trial. If you've been through things like cancer, death of a loved one, 
consequences for your sin or somebody else's sin, serious ongoing health problems, relationship difficulties, substance abuse, other kinds of abuse. If you've been in one of these types of situations, you know that in the midst of your trial, you feel so defeated, you feel dead sometimes. You feel so hopeless that you don't see a way out of it. But now, on the other side of your trial, it feels like you've almost been rescued from something that felt like death. I love what John Calvin wrote about these verses. Quote, It's God who lifts us up with his own hand when we have been plunged into a profound gulf. And therefore, it's our duty on our part to sing praises to him. Point two. Individual praise, so looking at verses 4 through 6. Now in verse 4, David shifts from giving individual praise to God and he's encouraging others to join him. And you see phrases like, sing praises to the Lord, you his saints. And he's not talking just about anyone here. He's talking about believers, those who are trusting in the Lord. And he's leading people to focus on how God has been faithful to them in the past. And then starting in verse 5, you start to see some of these poetic concepts. He first uses the concept of contrasts. You see, his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. So in this setting here, David is talking about being disciplined by the Lord. And you can think in the midst of any consequence, the process seems to take so long in your disciplinary stage And you just have to think of times when your earthly father has disciplined you or us. Often, your anticipation of the consequence, you're just like getting yourself worked up and it seems so long. And then when you're going through a consequence, you're like, am I ever going to survive this? However, just as when our earthly fathers disciplined us, it's actually for a very short time. It's for a moment and then it's done. Our heavenly father will often discipline us for a moment, but compared to his favor, it's such a short time. Our Heavenly Father's love for us as adopted children lasts forever. And our Heavenly Father has given us the ultimate favor by sending his son Jesus to redeem us from our sins. And then also in verse 5, he continues with some of these contrasts. He says, weeping during the night and joy in the morning. Now David's shifting from sadness to joy. And when we are in deep sadness, it seems like it takes such a long time. And David uses the word night here. And often the word night conveys a very lengthy period of time. It conveys a time of helplessness. However, we all know night is temporary. We know that morning always follows night. And he uses the word morning to convey the idea of a new beginning or hope after night. David's trying to encourage us that when our trial seems so helpless and so long, he wants us to know that the Lord will help us through and that we will have joy on the other side. Or, to put it another way, he's saying, hang on, saints, hang on. Point three. 
describing the trial or hardship, verses 6 and 7. So in 6 and 7, David actually tries to reveal part of his hardship. For David, there's some individual pride for his accomplishments and his own power. And we can even think of the time when David lost his palace to Absalom. I'm sure at the time, David's probably like, you know what? My palace will never be taken. He probably assumed that God gives me favor. He's chosen me to be king after all. My palace is solid. But there are times when the good things that God gives us can cause us to forget our dependence on him. So in verse 6, David says, In my prosperity, I shall not be moved. Here, David's admitting that he wasn't dependent on God and that he's assuming his prosperity came from his individual strength and wisdom. And I'm sure we can all relate to this concept. Who in here hasn't? Look back at something and say, you know what, look what I did in my strength and wisdom. And we have to be careful here. You know, God has given us gifts and he wants us to accomplish his purpose for our lives. And that's good. However, we can be led into sinful territory when we take sole credit for ourselves. As it says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, God holds your very breath in his hands. Your strength and wisdom come from him, and we should give him praise for that. And then in verse 7, David, he's trying to shift in giving God credit and praise. However, he's still assuming that there's a certain level of favor from God. He says, you have made my mountain strong, but then David is surprised and dismayed when God hides his face from him. And this verse can also hit home with us in many ways. Who in here hasn't presumed on the favor of God in areas of our lives? You may wrongly say, you know what, God deserves to give me favor in the following areas. I deserve perfect health. I deserve perfect and healthy children. I deserve to have a successful job, perfect friends, a great marriage, a certain level of income, and on and on we can go. However, these are all gifts, and there are times where the Lord will hold these things from us. When things are good, we can become prideful and assume favor will continue And we need to be awakened out of this at times. We need to realize that any favor is by grace. And we're truly not safe anywhere other than God's will for our lives. And God, by allowing trials, opens up his servant's eyes to our, air quotes, own prosperity and instead focuses on God and his grace-filled favor. And it's his grace and favor to give and take away as he sees fit for our good and his glory. Albert Barnes, one of my favorite Bible commentaries, said this in an application for these verses. It's kind of a long passage, but hang in there, it's so great. He says, quote, They become self-confident. They forget their dependence on God. In their own minds, they trace their success to their own efforts, tact, and skill rather than God. They become worldly-minded, and it is necessary for God to teach them how easily he can sweep all this away and thus bring them to a right view of the uncertainty of all earthly things. Health fails, friends die, or property takes wings and flies away. 
in God accomplishes his purpose, a purpose invaluable to them, by showing them that their dependence on him and by teaching them that permanent and certain happiness and security are to be found in him alone. And that was a long quote, but that last line is so great. It says, teaching them that permanent and certain happiness and security are to be found in him alone. Point four, pleading or praying to God for help. And this is in verses eight through 10. In verse eight, David tries to move the focus away from his own strength in dealing with his affliction or trial. And now he moves toward God. He realizes that his own strength is nothing. And now he says, to you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead mercy. David is finally brought to the point where he knows he deserves nothing. He's starting from ground zero and realizing that any favor is a gift from God, an undeserved gift. He's finally at the point of humbleness. And at this point, David is actually strong by putting his life in the one who is actually in control. And then in verse 9, as he's in this humble state, he pleads God to take away his affliction and spare his life. Now, we're not sure if David was actually close to dying here or if he was in such a dark place it felt like death. But whatever the case is, he's asking the Lord to strengthen him again. He desires that the Lord would use him. David wants to be a good steward of his earthly life. I'm going to read a passage from Acts chapter 13. You can follow along if you'd like. Otherwise, you can just listen. So Acts 13, 35 through 38. And this really fits that concept of being a good stewards with the life the Lord has given us, given to us and also the testimony of the greater David. So Acts 13, starting at 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And this is a quote from Psalm 16, talking about David and death and also the fulfillment of Christ. 36, for David, after he served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. And talking about Jesus there. Verse 30, 38, then let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So here we see a, a couple of things going on in these verses. First, we see before David dies, he serves the purpose of God in his generation. And that should be our goal as Christians. We should run the race that God has given us and run it well. We should live our lives to the glory of God. Secondly, we see that David wasn't the Christ, Jesus was. If we have turned from our sins and have trusted in Jesus, we have eternal life. Whether we are on earth for hours or for decades, we have a purpose now to serve him. Well, someone might ask, what do we do with those who aren't spared the ultimate affliction? 
What do we do with those who have died from cancer or have a terminal illness? What do we do with those who have a disease or a health condition that just doesn't get better? What do we do with those who have relationships that are continuing to struggle? I can only speak from my own testimony. As many of you know, my son Noah died in a car crash about four years ago. And I, I, really not use, I, I really had a hard time with some of this psalm language before that. And I still sometimes struggle with it. But I tell you what, after that, I could really start to relate to some of the intensity of what David was feeling. So exactly what is the purpose of a trial or an affliction and we don't see healing or restoration on the other side or on this side of eternity? This is where we need to have an eternal mindset. I love the verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For my son Noah, who died in a car crash, he was a believer, so he is with the Lord. For my son Noah, to die is gain. He is in heaven. He is with Jesus. For me and my family left on earth, to live is Christ. God's not done with us yet. We need to be good stewards with the purpose and life that he has given to us while we are still on earth. For those of you who are going through ongoing health conditions, relationship struggles, and other situations like this, you can still live for Christ. You can still find joy as you depend on him each day. And this is what trials should do for the Christian. It should move us to more dependence on God, to have an eternal perspective and to be good stewards with the life he's given us. And God's ultimate purpose, purpose for us is this, to conform us into the image of Christ. And it hurts sometimes. It really hurts sometimes. But God is faithful and he's with us each step of the way. Point five, deliverance and praise to the Lord. So looking at verses 11 through 12. Now, David closes by praising God and his faithfulness again. And in verse 11, we see some more of these contrasting concepts. First, we see his mourning has turned into dancing. In the time of mourning and in your trial, the last thing you could ever imagine doing is normal things again. But here, through earnest prayer and dependence on God, David has made it to the other side. He's joyful again, so much so that he uses the concept of joyfully dancing. And the other contrast he uses, you've loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So here, David's taking off his sackcloth. And you know from reading the Old Testament that putting on sackcloth is a really outward sign of a severe affliction or grief. So David is throwing off his sackcloth and clothing himself with gladness. He's found joy again. And then in verse 12, he again praises God and he, he uses a very interesting word that puzzled me at first when I started reading this passage. He says, my glory may sing your praise. And at first, 
reading, you're kind of like, David, didn't you, know any, didn't you learn anything from this whole trial and now you're talking about your own glory again when you say, my glory? David, are you again boasting in your own strength and wisdom again? However, that's, that's not what's going on here. What David is getting at is the word glory meaning weight. So he's basically saying, with my whole being, I will praise the Lord. Or with my whole heart, I will praise the Lord. So, to conclude, please encourage others with your testimonies. Share your testimonies of God's faithfulness as you've gone through trials and affliction. Your testimony might be the comforting medication that a fellow brother or sister needs. Your testimony may be the tool that God uses to get somebody hurting to look to God and depend on him. Think of the main points that we talked about today. Sing praise to God individually and with others. Share your trials and hardship with others. Plead and pray to God for help. And praise God for the greater David, Jesus Christ, whom believers have hope. If Jesus isn't your Savior, you don't have hope in your trials. You don't have hope of eternal life. You don't have hope now. But you can if you call on Jesus to be your Savior. If you turn from your sin and by faith trust in the finished work of Christ, you can. I love what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 3. It says, Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be genuine and be able to share trials and things that we've gone through with each other. Lord, help us be a people that can help pray together. Lord, I pray for those who are in the middle of a trial right now. I pray that they would look to you for hope and help. Thank you that you are with us and you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for your son Jesus and through him we are adopted daughters and sons. Oh Lord, we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.